Hey Amarillo, I'm Jason Boyette and you're listening to Hey Amarillo, the interview podcast featuring some of the most interesting people and stories of Amarillo, Texas. This week's episode is brought to you by a new sponsor, Pestex Pest Control. Ben with Pestex sprays my house every few months. It's his job to keep the spiders away, which if you know the Boyette family is a super important job. Pestex is locally owned. They use pet-friendly products, which my dogs appreciate. They can do additional yard sprays for fleas and flies, ticks, and mosquitoes. Most importantly, though, they don't have a one-size-fits-all approach. They evaluate every customer's pest problem, by which I mean spider problem, and find the best way to solve it. So to get in touch, call or text 806-433-8841 or look up Pestex on Facebook or Instagram. Today's guest is Howard Smith. Howard occupies place four on the Amarillo City Council. He's the first council member I've spoken to on this podcast. But he has a long Amarillo history before that. His parents used to own the historic Hub Clothiers in downtown Amarillo, and he grew up working there. Howard served in the Navy, and we'll cover some really fascinating stories about that a little bit later. He's been in Amarillo real estate since 1980, which is a long time. He served for 10 years on the AISD Board of Trustees. And still today, Howard is an avid mountain biker who loves to ride in Paladuro Canyon. So we've got a lot to talk about. Here's Howard Smith. Howard Smith, welcome to the Hey Amarillo podcast. Thanks for being here. Thanks for inviting me. Well, sure thing. I, uh, I'm super interested to talk to you. You are the first actual city council member uh, that I've spoken to as a guest on the podcast. So there's that. Now you talked to the mayor, didn't you? Well, I talked to the mayor, but that was the very first guest. Um, and so there's been a lot of space since okay. I talked to somebody gotcha. in city government. So <laughs> You're fine. Um, I'm eager to talk about that, but I'd like to start just by asking my guest to sort of establish yourself here in Amarillo. So how long have you lived in Amarillo, and how did you end up here in the first place? Well, I was born in Texarkana. There's two Texarkanas. I was born in Texarkana, Arkansas. Okay. My home was five blocks from Texas, so I didn't miss Texas much. My parents lived there. My father was the part owner and manager of a clothing store in Texarkana called Womack's. And so uh, in uh, 1950, my father and his brother and my grandfather purchased the Amarillo Hub Clothiers. You may not have heard of that. I have heard of it, and I actually shopped there as a kid. Did you really? Well, it was part of an S&Q clothier chain of about eight stores. And the Amarillo store was purchased out of the chain. So it became a family business at the time with my grandfather and his two sons. And so uh, when I was nine years old is when we moved to Amarillo when they purchased the store out of the chain. Technically, you were in Arkansas. It may have felt like you were almost in Texas anyway, being on the border like that. But did you have any idea of where Amarillo was or what the city was when you moved here? Not really. Was it on your radar at all? I was nine years old. Yeah. I had visited here some, but not a lot. Okay. So you had been here before, though. I had been here. Because you had family? Yes. My grandfather lived here. That's where I got my name. His name was Howard M. Smith. What do you remember about Amarillo when you first moved here? It was uh, bigger than Texarkana, and it was uh, a nice town. We lived in South Amarillo on Harrison Street. 
went to Alice Landrigan Elementary School and Wolfland School and Austin Junior High and Emerald High School. And so uh, it was a nice town. And this was during the 1950s, 50s which was a, we moved here. Yeah, so that was a period of growth in Amarillo. I mean, there was a lot happening yes. with the air base and a lot of manufacturing and stuff here at that time. Yes. My parents rented a house the first year, and then they built a house at 3220 Bowie Street. Okay. And let me describe. So that's that right in the middle of the Wolfland area then. It is now. It was on the west edge of it then. Okay. In fact, the house faced east and west. There weren't any houses. I could see Georgia, a dirt road in the distance, probably a half a mile away. So that was the outskirts then of Amarillo. It was the outskirts. And I used to go, you'll laugh at this, I used to go behind the, the house and try to get sod poodles, prairie dogs. Prairie dogs. You didn't call them sod poodles, though, did you? No. <laughs> That's a new name. That would that would have been surprising if if you did. Tell me tell me about high school and then starting to think about your future after high school. What do you remember about those days? Well, one thing I can remember pretty clearly about Emerald High uh, at the time I was in Emerald High, there was only Paladura. Tascosa had not opened yet. It opened when I was at Emerald High. And one thing I remember, they had homeroom periods. You remember homerooms? They still have them, I understand. It's called something different now. And they arrange the people in the homeroom in alphabetical order. So there were 30 students in the homeroom. 23 of them were named Smith. Wow. So we went by first names. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So you were were grouped in a classroom just by your last name? Is that... Yes. How that worked, and so all the Smiths ended up together. Yes. Wow. That that and seems inefficient. With the Tascosa, and so it split us up. Okay. But even today, Tascosa and Emerald High has reunions together because mm-hmm. we knew each other. Okay. Quite a bit. Did you have any idea of what you wanted to do as a career when you were in high school? Or I did not. Okay. I can't believe that students nowadays they decide early on. I was. Really good in math and physics, so I went to Baylor University and majored in math and physics, and I didn't know what I was going to do. The first summer out of high school, I took a job at Affiliated Food in South Amarillo, unloaded boxcars. Cases of food would come in, and I enjoyed it because I was trying to work out and get stronger, so mm-hmm. I was lifting boxes all the time. Second year, I worked at Affiliated Food, but I worked in the office, adding up orders. And then the third summer, I went to work in the family business, the third and fourth summer. Okay. And that's when I decided I'm missing an opportunity if I don't come and be in that business. In the, the clothing business? In the clothing business. Why is that? What was the opportunity you saw? Well, I saw, uh, I worked in the office of the Hub Clothiers and uh, learned quite a bit in the office. Inventory control was my specialty, kind of went along with the math degree. And that's a very important uh, job in a business is be sure you don't buy too much inventory, Mm -hmm. but enough. And so when I came to work, after the Navy, I worked out a system to figure out how much buyers could buy 
I'd, I'd give budgets to 14 different buyers and okay. second spend. Now, what, you, you mentioned the Navy. I, I feel like we've just sort of bypassed that. Tell me, tell me about your experience in the Navy. After graduating, well, let me give a little more about my education. Okay. I got my bachelor's degree in math and physics. But once I decided what I wanted to do and come back to the Hub Clothiers, I needed some business education. Okay. I didn't have any business. So uh, I decided to get a, a two-year master's degree in business. First year, 30 hours, it was undergraduate business courses. And then the second year was master's business courses. So uh, so I got my master's, but then there was a, now to your question about the Navy, there was a draft at that time. The draft, they deferred. You didn't have to be joined the military until as long as you were in school. Mm-hmm. So they would let you, a deferment, I think they called it. What year was that? That was, uh, I got a bachelor's in 64 okay. and a master's in 66, okay. May of 66. So in May of 66, the draft was after me, and I had choices. I could join, I could be drafted and be in the Army, mm-hmm. which meant Vietnam. I, I wanted to be a pilot, but I couldn't see very good. I had to wear glasses, and so I couldn't be a pilot. So I decided I wanted to make the best I could of of the Navy and applied for officer candidate school, which was 18 weeks in Newport, Rhode Island, and then a supply school in Athens, Georgia, and then I was an officer and assigned to a ship, USS Guadalcanal, okay, uh, which is a helicopter carrier. Uh, not the biggest of carriers. They couldn't take jets or anything, but we could carry 24 helicopters and a Navy crew of 550. We were amphibious force. We could carry 2,000 Marines okay. on board. I was not in Vietnam. We were in the Atlantic. This was not too long after uh, Castro was messing up, and so we were there to be sure... He didn't do things he wasn't supposed to do. Okay. And and we were training the 2,000 Marines. We would go to vacant islands and practice landings with the helicopters landing the, the Marines and going through that. And then they went to jungle training. Marines were out in the jungle. I was on a ship. Yeah. <laughs> it was a nice, nice deal for me. And this was also, you know, d- during that period when the U.S. you know space race was sort of of happening, and a, a lot was happening with astronauts and yes. moon landings and and all of that exploration. And I understand that you you played a role in that, uh, a small role, but I did. But I thoroughly enjoyed it. Well, tell me tell me about that experience then, because I had majored in math and physics. Mm-hmm. My ship was an ideal ship to. Uh, pick up astronauts that were landing in the ocean. The first experience that my ship had is that we had a part with Apollo 8. Okay. Apollo 8 was December of 1968. And that's the first time men left and went around the moon. Okay. And uh, made a big deal about the astronauts reading from Genesis after they came out from behind the Yeah, so they the moon. orbited the moon, didn't land on the moon. Correct. Came back and were able to see, you know, Earth from that distance and 
you know, some of the some of the first photos that we got of the planet came from that right. experience. Now, my ship's part in that when they took off from Florida was we were 300 miles east of Florida, and we had about six helicopters out with about four frogmen on each helicopter. And our goal was if they had to abort early for some reason and land in the ocean shortly after taking off, we were to try to save them. So we had helicopters scattered out along the route that they were taking. Just kind of spread out, you know, based on where they might have landed? Correct. Okay. And so uh, it was uh, the morning that they took off. It was like a lot of days here. There wasn't a cloud in the sky, and it was uh, very clear. And we just saw this bright light up in the sky. It was the the rockets taking off and uh, getting higher and higher till they got in orbit, and then they took off and went to the moon. Mm-hmm. So that that was an exciting time, even though it was very brief. I have a medallion that they gave to everybody on the ship, and that medallion is made of metal that went around the moon. Okay. And they made a big deal about giving that to us. So that's the souvenir that I have and keep on the wall in my office. So that was the first and then Apollo 9 came up okay. in March of 1969, and that was a, a deal in space. It was the first test of the moon landing ship okay. in Earth orbit. They didn't go to the moon, but they were up there maybe eight or nine days, and they kept separating uh, the two ships and get 100 miles apart and then reconnecting back up. Because they, they needed to practice. Because when they went to the moon later, there were going to be two men on the moon and one man going circling the moon. Right. And they had to take off and link back up. And so they practiced linking up. So it was a, a huge, huge deal for us. We were out uh, near Bermuda in okay. the ocean for about 10 or 12 days before they ever took off because uh, that's where the landing would be. And we had 100 newsmen on board and women, and they were there to record it. This ended up being one of the first closest landings at that time. I, if I'd had a rock, I could have thrown a rock over to the spaceship when it landed in the water. Were you, like, there? You actually saw it yes. when it hit? Yes, I saw it. They they put a schedule out that morning, mm-hmm. mimeograph sheet that said, here's a schedule for the day, and I don't remember the exact time, but they said like at 9.42, there will be a uh, sonic boom, and then a minute later you hear another sonic boom, and look up and you should see three parachutes. Okay. And, and it happened exactly to the minute, wow. exactly like they said. And then your ship was there then to to sort of rescue the astronauts after they hit the water and bring them on board and that's right, all that stuff. Yeah. Well, one thing I learned in the uh, business of the Apollo Nine with the astronauts coming to land, we were so close. The landing was so close to the ship mm-hmm. that we could have picked them up in a lifeboat. Okay. I learned about public relations then. NASA didn't say this publicly, but they they said we can't pick them up with a, a lifeboat. I have a picture here that shows how close the lifeboat is from the spaceship that landed. 
we need a dramatic rescue from sea, from helicopters dropping the frogmen down, putting the flotation device around the capsule, pulling them up into the helicopter and coming around and landing on the ship. So when you see those photos, like you see just this expanse of water and the capsule is floating out there, but what you're not seeing is that like the ship is probably right on the other side of the camera and it it's made to appear a little bit more dramatic than it actually was. Yes. So NASA control that. Okay. Yes. So <laughs> no, no, just throwing a, a little dinghy off the side of the ship and pulling them back in. Cause that didn't look quite as cool. It, it wouldn't have been as cool. All right. <laughs> they, they were worried. They had two things going on. They had the Vietnam war costing a fortune mm-hmm. and they had the space program costing a fortune. They needed the public behind that. And so they, that's why they needed a dramatic so the, the story of sea. heroes and a heroic rescue, heroic astronauts, like that was all part, you know, of, of the narrative that they wanted to push. That's right. Hmm. All right. Well, breaking news right here that <laughs> parts maybe the moon landing wasn't staged, but some of the rescues had a little bit of a staged <laughs> element. Do you have a sense, you know, of how significant that moment was? You know, in the sense of everything that, you know, that came after and, you know, the space race that, you know, here's a thing where all these calculations took place. It dropped into the atmosphere the minute they thought it would. It landed where they thought it would. And, you know, you're there to rescue them. Everybody was okay. I mean, did did it feel like this was a really big deal to you guys on board? It it did to me because I had followed it very closely Mm -hmm. since I'd majored in math and physics. I I followed all each launch and some of them didn't work and it, it was a wonderful deal who were the astronauts the astronauts were uh, david scott who later went to the moon james mcdivitt and russell schweikert okay those were the three astronauts now let me tell you a little more about that okay we were we were supposed to they were supposed to land off bermuda but at the time the landing was coming uh, NASA checked the weather, and we had 10 to 12-foot waves. And they said, we can't land when the waves are that high because a previous spaceship had landed and waves got in the capsule when they opened the hatch. Right. And it sank. And the astronaut just barely got out. So they they said 24 hours ahead, they said, we're, we're going to send the astronauts around the Earth one more time, okay. which is only 90 minutes. <laughs> but it had them landing near Bermuda. So we they gave us plenty of time to get to the place, and we got to the place, latitude and longitude, exactly where they were going to land. The ocean was just very flat, no waves at all. And so they landed exactly hmm. like scheduled. So that was kind of exciting. Your experience in, in the Navy um, serving during that time, how long did that last? A little over three years. Three years. And then you, you came back to Amarillo? Like, was, was that ever a question, I'm going to go back to Amarillo, or did you think about doing something else? No, I'd, I'd planned all along to come back and join the family business. Okay. So I was just delayed. All right. So tell me, tell me how long you ended up being in the family business, selling clothes. A decade. All right. Ten years. I came back uh, from the Navy in uh, December '69, and I was there for exactly ten years. Okay. 
why that change in careers, you know, midway through? Because, you know, 10 years later, I, I guess you're still late 30s, mid 30s around that time. I mean, that's that's kind of an odd time to try something new. So so why that change? Well, I decided my father was retiring. Okay. He was the boss of the business. And I decided to get into real estate at that time. So I just left and started in real estate in 80, 1980. Okay. And I've been in it now 39 years. Why real estate? Why did you choose that? Well, I thought it would be exciting. And actually, before I left the hub, I went out uh, one day and went to a sheriff's sale and bought a house, $2,350, fixed it up, put a roof on the house, had 4000 in it, mm -hmm. and got my 4000 back, sold it for $12,000. I thought, this is easy. Yeah. You're, you were flipping houses before <laughs> was anybody flipping was houses. talking about flipping houses. <laughs> and then I bought a, a place on Washington Street near Amarillo College. It had two duplexes on one lot. It's kind of the same same thing, but the college wanted it. <laughs> so I sold it to them. Okay. So I made some money in about two years. So I thought, this is easy. So I thought, well, I need to get a real estate license. I thought all the realtors had all the best deals, but mm -hmm. found out that's not true. Anybody could find the good deals. And that so, was, you know, I guess I guess you're 40 years into that career now. Well, let's see. I was 19... born in 42. Yeah. So about that. You've been doing real estate in Amarillo then for years and years. That's long enough to see a lot of the different ebbs and flows of the markets. Um, a lot of people talk about how Amarillo is sort of isolated from, you know, the rest of the economy. You know, some of the booms and busts that, that may happen elsewhere in Texas or elsewhere in the United States. Have, have you seen that in the real estate market, that, that there's some protection here, whether it's, you know, geographical or, or cultural? I think there's some protection. And things come here later than they do other big oh, towns. Okay. But they still come here. So there's been ups and downs. And you just learn how to survive. In real estate, if you just work hard, pay attention to your business, business will come. What are some of the big moments that you remember in Amarillo related to real estate? You know, whether it was a, a boom cycle or a bust cycle or maybe some of the developments and, and the growth that we've seen. Well, one of the biggest things that happened before I was here was the airbase closing. Right population went down about 10,000 people. So it was, but I was getting reports on the hub business and it wasn't easy, but they worked through it. Right. And so that's the biggest thing that's happened. There's been other things, the super collider they thought might come here, but never did. And so things like that. 2008 was a, kind of a tough time. I used to teach a little bit at Amarillo College, real estate. Average person in, is in real estate for three years. Wow. Three to four years. So being there 39 years, that's not bad. Why Why is that? Why is the average you know, tenure in they the business? They don't understand what's involved before they get into it. Okay. It's pretty hard at first, but it gets easier. The longer you've been in it, you've got people that know you and come back to you. So once you get through three years or so, it's a little bit easier. Tell me about the real estate market right now in Amarillo. Is I mean, is, is this a good time? Is this a busy time? 
It's, it's pretty busy or going through the busiest time, and that's late spring and summer. Mm-hmm. And so I'm not doing as much as I was before. I used to sell 40 to 60 transactions a year, but I'm, I'm way below that because of the time I'm spending on city council. Right. But I'm still doing business. And, and we also, in addition to helping people buy and sell, that's what I do, we manage properties. My wife manages 200 properties. And that provides sort of a regular paycheck. Okay. The things. We get a percent of the rent collected. So she does that, and I help people buy and sell. You know, you, you talked about when you were a kid living on the outskirts of town, which, you know, is right in the middle of town right now. Have, have you been surprised the way that Amarillo has grown in no. your over your career? No. Grows to the southwest. Yeah. <laughs> which is, is you know that's that's, that's kind of what that, happens everywhere right that's other towns yeah same way Lubbock's that way other towns are that way we're going somewhat to the northwest but uh, you can predict which way it's going and that's why it's going tell me about your decision to run for city council a few years ago what kind of you know spurred your thinking on that well here's here's what was involved I, I'd served on a city school board for 10 years right and i didn't think i'd ever run for anything again but i was disappointed with the way the previous council was doing some things and and so i talked to some other people and see if i could get them to run and got one to finally run but i said well to myself i just need to jump in myself i've done it before so i thought i could help calm things down we were called dysfunctional, mm-hmm. if you can remember that. I do remember that. <laughs> and so it, it was just not going good. So I just jumped in and says, let's do it. Actually, uh, the chairman of the board of the Realtor Association came to me probably a year ahead and said, why don't you consider running for the city council? And he knew I was involved on committees. Mm-hmm. I was on the planning and zoning for eight years. I was on a comprehensive plan implementation advisory committee for three or four years and a couple of others. And I said, well, I didn't say I'd run, but I said I'd consider it. So I went and talked to, for four or five months, I talked to a lot of people. Brian Eads was one. He mm-hmm. announced his resignation and gave a lot of thought to it. After the chairman of the board came to me and asked me to consider that, I didn't tell my wife for three or four days, and then I told her (laughs) what I was thinking about doing. And she didn't say one thing, but three or four days later, she says, you decide to do it, I'm behind you 100%. Hmm. That made me feel good. That's the the first person you need to get on board your campaign for sure. That's right. So I just, just kept talking to people and... And I wasn't campaigning. I just mm-hmm. want to know how much time it took and what's involved. And does it matter I'm older than most people that might run? Didn't matter to people at all about age. So I decided to jump in. How old were you when you were elected? Well, I was elected in May of 17. So I was uh, 74. Okay. You know, you said you talked to people about the time commitment and, you know, you had been following the previous council. Did you feel like you knew what you were getting into or were there some surprises once you actually got in that position and saw? I knew what I was getting into. You knew? 
because I was pretty active on I was on four committees mm-hmm. one time. Probably wouldn't do that today. That's a lot. But it was. But the way it was done then, did you know Jim Sims? Yes. I served with him on the school board. And he's the one who got me started being on committees. He he called me and said, Would you consider serving on the planning and zoning? They meet twice a month and for an hour to two hours and on a Monday afternoon, I figured I could do that, and it was a good experience because it helped me keep up with what's going on in the city. Okay. Very much so. And the other committees did the same thing. So I, I got involved. So I was I knew what was going on, and I was disappointed that some of the dreams that people had were people were going against. And I thought we ought to continue toward getting a hotel and a parking mm-hmm. garage and the ballpark. So I thought, let's just jump in and see if we can help. I, I wonder, you know, you, you joined the city council or were elected, you know, decades into a career. Um, you'd been working in Amarillo for years and years. Do you feel like in this process of, of serving in this leadership role, have you learned about the city? Like, has it taught you anything about Amarillo or about the people, you know, that maybe you, you hadn't experienced before? Well, it's a lot bigger business than I thought. And the city does a lot of things that I hadn't even thought of. Okay. A lot of things in the health area, and I could name a lot of things. But the main things, we need. I think we need to grow, mm-hmm. not 20% a year, but we need to grow more than we've been growing. And I knew... Having been in the real estate business, I knew a lot of people that were developers, Mm -hmm. and they would complain about this process, and it takes too long to do this, and you have an inspector go out and give you a list of three or four things that need to be done, and they do those, and then another inspector comes, oh, you need to do this, this, and this, and that didn't seem right to me that we got to get our act together. (laughs) To sort of streamline that process so that... Yes. So There's I've, not a big hurdle in, in some of that development. That's right. So I've concentrated on that okay. and worked on that. And I can go into that if you want me well, to. Well, I mean, that, that's one of those things that as a, you know, working in real estate for so long, that's right within your wheelhouse and the things right. that you're passionate about that you're good at. Do you feel like, you know, over over these last couple of years, I mean, have you seen some of the changes that you wanted to bring about? Some of the, yes. the things change? I have. I can tell you, actually, before I was elected, I visited with the city manager. He invited all the people running for the council to come visit with him. And so I took that opportunity and said, I think just what I described, people get different answers from the inspector department. Right. And so I decided I wanted to call a lot of those people, and I made a list of them, (laughs) is I'd get complaints about how the city's doing this and not doing that and stuff. So I made a list of them. So I asked the city manager, could we uh, have a meeting? I want to call three or four of those people together to meet with you. You invite whoever you want to from your staff, and I invite them to tell whatever horror stories they want to tell. Mm -hmm. And don't hold back. Just tell it in in a discussion. And so they did that. And the city manager performed wonderfully. He said, well, some things we just can't concede on. we got to do mainly safety deals. 
other things we might can change. So we've had to, we've had 11 of those meetings with three or four people from the community coming and complain. And so I wasn't telling the city manager what to do. Right. He figured out what needed to be done. And he created a new position. Kelly Shaw is in that position. You may, you may know him, but he's a problem solver. Well, if it, something gets in the ditch, call him, and he might can he can solve things real quickly because he's been in it a long time, and so he can help. City manager, even he says, "Here's my business card. There's my cell phone. You get in the ditch. That doesn't mean I'm going to solve it, but I can get it off high center." If that's what needs to happen. And a lot of times that's all people want is to have somebody to listen to their concerns, whether they can fix it or not. You know, the feeling that nobody cares about this thing that's going on. That's what's frustrating. You know, so people just want sometimes a sounding board for that. So so I think what you asked if I was succeeding at something, I think that helped a lot. Okay, People didn't complain as much and. That somebody just the other day, man, it's going wonderful. And and this was a, a surveyor that made a talk to all the realtors in town and criticized the city, and I wasn't elected yet. I said, I'm going to be back to you. <laughs> I'm planning to. <laughs> and he thinks things are going a whole lot better now than they were. That doesn't mean everything's fixed. Right. Just the nature of that. <laughs> Try to get something approved and through the, all the hoops you got to jump through. There can be stumbling blocks. What What have you learned about the people of Amarillo now that you've been in a position to interact with them more and to serve them more? I'm not sure what you're getting at there. Well, it, I mean, has it has the communication is is the answer? Okay. Now there's some people they're not going to agree with anything we do, mm-hmm. <laughs> and they let us know that, and that's fine. Uh, we're listening to the people. That, that was one of my platforms. We need to listen to the people, see what they think. And that doesn't mean we can do everything they want to do, but uh, we got to listen. I'd like to hear, you know, because you've been involved in so many different areas of Amarillo, you've sold clothing, you've been in real estate, you've served in city government, you know, you've lived here for, for decades and by choice, I mean, you decided to come back here after the Navy. Why Amarillo? What What do you think is special about this place that has influenced you to like dedicate your whole life to it? Well, it's it's a good town. It's not a huge, huge town like Dallas, Fort Worth, and San Antonio, but it's a manageable sized town. It's big enough. It it has plenty of things to do. So I just think it's a, a good town. I, w- I don't think I'd have son lives in Plano. Mm-hmm. He was driving 45 minutes to get to work, 45 minutes home. <laughs> he just moved recently where he cut it down to 20 minutes. Well, I can get to work in 10 seconds. Yeah. <laughs> your, uh, your office is just a few blocks from your other office at the right. at City Hall. Right. So I, I think it's a wonderful town. I know a lot of people here. Real estate's been good to me. Hey, Amarillo is sponsored this week by Jimmy John's Gourmet Sandwiches. Jimmy John's has three locations in Amarillo, two along I-40 and one downtown near the ballpark. All of these franchise locations are owned and operated by an Amarillo resident, and Charles is committed to investing in this community whenever possible. I really appreciate him. And Jimmy John's delivers. 
This episode is also sponsored by SKP Creative. Are you having a hard time making social media work for your business? I know I am. I probably should use social media more for this podcast. Well, it can be more than a little tricky to figure out all that stuff on your own. So talk to the team at SKP Creative. They can help. They develop data-driven communication strategies to help your business grow and thrive. To learn more, visit skpcreative.com and you can schedule a free social media evaluation for your business. SKP Creative, make it happen. Okay, I'm back with Howard Smith. Howard, this is the part of the show I call Eight Straight. I'm going to ask you eight straight questions. Uh, as my guest, your job is to answer those, you know, in as much detail as you want to. I, I know you've listened to past episodes, and so these uh, should be fairly familiar. These are questions I've asked other uh, guests. So the first one is, what do you think is the most underrated aspect of life in Amarillo? I think there's an opinion by some people that there's not much to do here. Mm-hmm. In the, because of the size town, but I think that's that's wrong. Okay. And I've got a list of things. Tell me, tell me why that's wrong. Okay, it's wrong because there's plenty of things to do for kids and adults, like the Discovery Center. Mm-hmm. It's an important facility. Medical Center Lakes, people can go out there and feed the ducks, mm-hmm. take kids. They love that. We've had grandkids out there. Botanical Gardens is out there. Wildcat Bluff is a place you can go hiking. We've got baseball games now. Yeah. We've got hockey games, soccer, symphony, opera, Lone Star Ballet, rodeos, hot air balloons, the fair. Kids Inc. is a wonderful organization. I played in Kids Inc. as a kid here in Powder Canyon. So there's plenty to do for different ages depending on what your interest is. What's your favorite Amarillo restaurant? That's tough because I go out to eat a lot, too much. El Manatil okay. on Emerald Boulevard. That's authentic Mexican food. It is. Why, it, why do you like that? Do you have a, well, a certain Well, I like order, it or? because they have a, I like breakfast food any time of day. Okay. And they have breakfast food, food on the menu. What does this area have too much of? We've got too many stray animals in town. Okay. Uh, the city's working on that. And, and I don't want to get into the details, but we've just hired three new people for that department, and a new person is going to be taking over the department, and they'll be making plans to try to reduce. I think it's a thousand a month. Yeah, dogs twelve thousand a year. A lot more for the population we got than other towns. Okay, so, so it, it's too much for a city, even of of this size. It is. Do you, do you feel like that was, you know, maybe something that just wasn't anticipated or wasn't planned for well enough in the past, and now we're just kind of seeing this is what happens when you don't prepare for? I think that's it. Okay. I think we got to go back and prepare mm-hmm. <laughs> and correct our ways. What does this area not have enough of? We don't have enough industries here. I'd like to recruit more industries, and we've done that somewhat. Sodpool is an industry okay. that's here. That's got several full-time employees working. We've got the veterinary school. We had a great victory in convincing the legislature to help fund that. There's a new one people may not know about. There's going to be a new laundry on Amarillo Boulevard. Right. And I think that's great. They're going to start with about 25 employees and maybe work up to 100. The hospitals would send their laundry to Oklahoma. Right. New Mexico. 
Well, why not do it right here? <laughs> Keep that money inside the city limits. That's right. So things like that. Now, the ADC, that's their job. Mm -hmm. Bring companies that have jobs, and they're working on it all the time. And it's a very, very competitive field. But we're we got to do our part. We're paying a half a cent with sales tax to fund that. That's one of the smartest things this community did was start doing that. Have ADC. If we didn't have that, we wouldn't have Bell Helicopter right. here right now. So I just want more success in that area. Okay. How do you describe Amarillo to people outside the area? I mean, you've you've talked about why it's a great place to live. You've talked about, you know, the size of it and the the things that we have here. But like, you know, if you're talking to somebody uh, and, and they ask, what's it like being, you know, a city council member in Amarillo? What is Amarillo like? What do you tell them? I do that occasionally, but I do it in the real estate business. Okay. People call here. They're thinking about coming here. So I describe it's a wonderful place to raise a family. We've raised two boys here. We've got nice weather, 300 days a year of sunshine. Yeah. And that's good. Maybe we have a little bit too much wind sometimes. But but it's still sunny when the wind's blowing. So. That's right. <laughs> We've got good schools, good churches. Uh, we're close to the mountains. We can get to places pretty quick. We've got wonderful medical facilities. This uh, medical center that we have out there, there was nothing. My father was involved with helping get that going. Okay. And uh, he was one of the leaders of many in the city that brought High Plains Baptist Hospital to the area. So look at it now. It's got all kinds of facilities. You don't need to, you don't have to go to Houston nowadays. You might still want to go there for some things, but they've got all kinds of medical. It's, it's right? one of those examples of visionary thinking where, you know, it's, it's not just that we saw a need that we needed a facility, but we saw that 20 or 30 years from now, there's, there's going to be an even greater need. And so the decisions were made back then to build something, you know, out on what was then way out on the edge of town. Prairie. Yeah, there's nothing there. And to, to create something that now just feels like an essential part of Amarillo, but it was such a visionary plan back then. I've given that story to uh, two or three civic clubs because uh, in the uh, 1960s is where this group of men had a vision, and women too, had a vision of putting a new hospital. We had grown so much. We didn't have enough hospital beds to serve the community. And so uh, they got together and hammered out a, a plan and raised the money and built the hospital out there. And then Northwest moved out there. Mm -hmm. and the VA was already out there. And now we got the pharmacy school and the vet school is going to be there. Wonderful place. When was the last time you went to Paladero Canyon? Last Monday. Okay. So, <laughs> within the past week, then. <laughs> and Saturday also. Okay. I, I, as a hobby, I ride a mountain bike. Okay. So I go, I try to go every Saturday, but I went Monday also because of the holiday. I rode Monday, I rode an hour and a half, uh, mostly on the roads this time, okay. usually on the trails. There's some pretty rough muddy. trails out there. I mean, I, I'm, I'm afraid to ride some of those on a mountain bike, but well, if, I don't if you can do it, the then maybe one. I can do no, it. No, don't. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's medium, hard, and easy. <laughs> so and you're I'm, on the easy slopes? I'm on the easy one pretty much these days. But it's wonderful exercise. 
Yeah. Well, and it's a beautiful place to ride. I mean, the canyon is becoming known all across the Southwest, you know, as a destination for mountain biking. That's right. Are you a rider? I, I have been in the past. It's it's not something I do regularly, but um, yeah, it's I've it's been out there the last four Saturdays. So that, that's a, a regular stop for you then. It is. All right. Yeah. What's your favorite street in Amarillo? Well, I've narrowed it down to two. All right, I'll accept two. Thank you. <laughs> One is Polk Street. All right. Because that's where the family business was located. Okay. It was at 604 Polk, 606 Polk. And we had the ground floor of the Barfield building for a period of time. So that's a favorite place. And that's the main street of Amarillo. Well, your business Second, today is still located on Polk. That's right. And then the second street is Buchanan because okay. we got so many things there. We got the Civic Center, Globe News Center for Performing Arts, Downtown Library, Convention Hotel, Parking Garage, Hodgetown. Electric Company built a building there. Yeah. You drive down there. I, I bet there's a lot of people out there that have never been downtown recently. They need to drive down Buchanan and look at it. And both of those streets, Polk and Buchanan, you know, just the past five or six years have been transformed. It's I mean, incredible. completely different. That's right. With with more you know more growth on the way, you mentioned the Barfield building. I mean that's in that's in the process of being restored. That's going to be finished, I think, this fall. Yeah, and then we we're going to be working on the Civic Center. Hopefully so. That'll be right there on Buchanan. You mentioned the weather in Amarillo. What's your favorite kind of Amarillo weather? Fall and spring. Okay, because that's good riding weather. <laughs> it's all about the mountain biking then. <laughs> I like fall after the first freeze because then the snakes aren't much of a problem. Okay. I'm always looking out for snakes. Hadn't seen any this year. We just got good weather. Even in winter, there's days it'll be 60 degrees, and you can yeah. go out, and that's good mountain bike riding weather. Okay, well, Howard, that concludes the eight straight questions. I like to close by asking my guest to endorse something. So what's something that you would want listeners to know about or to experience? Well, I think we need to endorse Amarillo. Okay. We've got, I've listed all these things that we've got previously Discovery Center, Medical Center, all kinds of things. If people can't figure out what to do that they want to do, we've, we've got plenty of things to do here. I'll accept Amarillo as an endorsement from a member of the city council. That, okay, seems, that seems pretty logical for you. <laughs> okay, thank you. Howard Smith, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I appreciate it. Thanks for inviting me. And that concludes the show. First, I want to say thanks to this episode's sponsors, Pestex Pest Control, which is more of a tongue twister than I thought it would be. I've had a lot of trouble with it recording this. Beyond them, Jimmy Johns and SKP Creative. I really appreciate their sponsorship. And I appreciate Howard Smith for doing the interview. I want to say thanks, as always, to Angelina Marie for editing this episode, and thanks especially to my executive producers through Patreon.com. These are Corey Burns, Jennifer Callahan, Katie Linger, Criselda, Jason Burr, Daniel Davis, Josh Wood, Neil Nossiman, Patrick Burns, Ryan Pennington, Wes Reeves, and Wilson Lemieux. All of them support the show through patreon.com slash heyamarillo. You can go check that out if you want to support the show too. I really would appreciate it if you did. Hey, leave a review of this if you haven't on social media or on uh, Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. That also helps the show. Thank you for listening, though. This has been episode 106. My name is Jason Boyette, and I'll see you next week.